Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Whatever happens, value Christ over commas. Christ over commas. What do I mean by that? Well, stay tuned with your Bible open to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll talk about it. As you're turning to chapter 3, let me give you a quick suggestion. If you are on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, please think about following along with my posts. Every day, I post a 59-second Bible study, and for the next few months, I'll also have a 59-second tour of Israel that we'll post on Sunday nights. In addition, I use my social media to comment on a large number of things in Scripture and in the news and even in my own life. I'd love for you to share those posts with others and especially... Consider using the 59-second Bible study I put every day on social media with your family for family devotions if you are not having devotions with your children. This is a very easy way to get started. When you tuck them in at night, just say, let's see what Pastor Morgan has to say today. And I'll give a quick study of a Bible verse. You can pray with your children, tuck them in, and it's a way for you to begin the practice of family devotions. Now, let's get to our subject. Whatever happens, value Christ over commas. Abigail Disney is the granddaughter of Roy Disney, who was Walt Disney's brother. She was raised amid the wealth and fame of her family in North Hollywood. But now she has some very controversial things to say about rich people. She spoke recently at an event hosted by millionaires and said that one of the characteristics of very wealthy people is arguing about or maybe boasting about whose plane is the biggest. She was pretty cynical, and she said that money does odd things to people. She said that the more money her parents got, the more they were afraid of interacting with other people, the more they had to lose. They didn't know who they could trust. People wanted them for their fame and fortune, maybe not for their friendship. They had to have special entrances and exits everywhere and a private plane and a private bar. And then Abigail said that at a certain point for rich people, life becomes all about the commas. What did she mean by that? Well, if you have $1,000, you have one comma, one comma, zero, zero, zero. If you have a million dollars, you have two commas, one comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, zero, zero. If you have a billion dollars, you have three commas. And now the world is waiting to see who will be the first trillionaire. Who will that be? They will have four commas. For some people, life is simply an accumulation of commas, which truthfully could be erased at any moment. Well, as believers in Jesus Christ, our message is very simple. 
Christ is better than all of the commas in the world. It's not commas, but Christ that makes for a fulfilling life. And with that as an introduction, let's resume our study of Philippians because Paul goes right into that subject beginning in chapter 3 and verse 2. Let's read verses 2 and following. Paul said, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And now notice these commas. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, comma, of the people of Israel, comma, of the tribe of Benjamin, comma, a Hebrew of Hebrews, semicolon, in regard to the law, comma, a Pharisee, semicolon, as for zeal, comma, persecuting the church, semicolon, and as for righteousness based on the law, comma, faultless. But verse 7, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. We have come to the section in the letter to the Philippians in which Paul warns his readers against the Judaizers. Now, who are these people? They simply bedeviled the Apostle Paul wherever he went, and he spent a great deal of his ministry attacking them. From his first epistle, which in my opinion was the book of Galatians, to one of his last, the book of Titus, Paul battled these people whom he called the circumcision group and we call the Judaizers. Now, I want to bore into this a little bit. This podcast is really, in my mind, the weekly sermon that I would preach if I were still in a weekly pulpit ministry to the same congregation. And I don't believe in simply having motivational talks. I like to really teach people the Bible. And so this is such a dominant role in the epistles of the Apostle Paul that we ought to know who these people were that he was constantly discussing. The Lexham Bible Dictionary has an extended article on the Judaizers. It's very good, and I want to read a portion of it to you. The English word Judaizer connotes the practicing of imposing Jewish religious and social customs on others. The narrative of the book of Acts suggests that church elders in Jerusalem did not begin to understand that God's plan was transcending the Jew-Gentile divide until after Peter witnessed the Holy Spirit's work in Cornelius' home. Now, let me break in here to explain what they're saying. When the Lord began to develop his church, it transcended anything and everything in Judaism. But that was very, very difficult for the early Christian leaders to understand. So let me continue now with Lexham. The Jerusalem Council met in about the year A.D. 49 to discuss whether Gentile believers must follow Jewish religious customs. That's in Acts chapter 15. Even after the council determined that Gentile Christians need not practice the Mosaic law, elitist Judaizers apparently continued to require law observance of all Christians, whether Jew or Gentile. And Paul charged that such of you distorted the gospel. 
I'm reading from the Lexham Bible Dictionary and one more paragraph. Some Christian Judaizers, including many of Paul's opponents, the Jewish teachers that he was preaching about, imposed the requirements of the Mosaic law, primarily but not exclusively circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and dietary laws on Gentile Christians insisting that salvation or being a member of the people of God rested on obedience to the Mosaic law. Now, that's the entry in the Lexham Bible Dictionary, and let me now put it in my own words. The dispensation of the Lord's plan of redemption— What he was doing in redeeming humanity was now entering a new phase. Jesus was creating his church, and it transcended Judaism. It went beyond and above Judaism. Judaism was the foundation for it, but now Jesus was building something beyond Judaism. And that was very hard for some of the Jewish believers in the first century in the early days of the church to realize I think it would have been hard for us. It took time for even the apostles to understand what God was doing. God had created a church, and the membership requirement was simply repentance and faith, faith and grace, not Jewish ritual. Some of the Jewish people who were drawn to Christ had trouble understanding how the Gentiles could totally bypass the Jewish ritual, which was such a part of their history, and enter directly into the kingdom. And so some of them were preaching that in order to follow Christ, one also had to embrace Jewish principles. In other words, in our language today, faith plus works. Not so, said Paul. And in several of his letters, his very strongest language is addressed to this issue of the Judaizers. Now, here in Philippians, Paul addresses this in chapter number three, which we're dealing with now. He said, in effect, if anybody on this earth could have been saved by keeping the external demands of the Jewish system and the Mosaic law, it is me. He says, it is we who are the true circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself, and now I'm in verse 4 of Philippians 3, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And now Paul lists seven different elements of his Jewish resume separated by commas. Number one, he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of my life as prescribed by the Mosaic law for male Jewish babies. Number two, I am of the people of Israel. I am full-blooded. Number three, I am of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the beloved tribe and the tribe of origin for Israel's first king, for whom Paul was named as Saul of Tarsus. Number four, he said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am of pure Jewish stock. My parents were fully Jewish with no other blood mingled in their lineage. Number five, in regard to the law, he said, I was a Pharisee, which was the strictest denomination among the Jews, one known for its conservative approach to theology, 
to the practice of living and to the interpretation of the Old Testament. Number six, he said, I was very zealous persecuting the church. In other words, if you want Judaizers to twist the church around, I have even better credentials. I was determined to destroy it altogether. And seven, he said, as for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. This doesn't mean that Paul thought that he was sinless, but that he scrupulously kept the rules about Sabbath observance, the dietary laws, and the ritual cleanness that was required in the Old Testament and the Torah and the Mosaic law. So Paul said, in effect, if anyone would have been able to obtain salvation through Judaism, it was me. Now, in saying all of this, it reminds me very much of Martin Luther. You may know this story. As a young man, he entered a monastery, and he tried his very best to be so perfect as a monk and as a Christian that he could be saved by his austere life and by his good works. Here is what Martin Luther said later in life after he had discovered what it meant to be justified by grace through faith. He said, I was a monk. I was a good monk, and I kept the rules of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk could get to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All of my brothers at the monastery who knew me would bear this out. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, readings, and other work. But his life was saved when he realized that he couldn't be saved by all of the things involved in his, religi uh, his religious ritual or his monastic order. He was saved by grace through faith alone based on what Jesus Christ did in his death and resurrection. So Paul thought that he could be saved on the basis of his scrupulous living according to the Mosaic law. Luther thought he could be saved if he simply was a good enough monk. They lived centuries apart and centuries ago, but both of them realized that you can only be saved by grace through faith. Well, you may ask what any of that has to do with life today, and I would say it has to do a great deal. There are many churches and denominations, and branches, and varieties within Christianity in which people are taught and they believe that they can be right with God and have eternal life by keeping various rituals or by living an outwardly good life. That is endemic in Christianity today. It is a pandemic of error. The American Worldview Inventory 2020 Survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, studied people who identified themselves as Christian. The researchers asked people, what religion do you hold? And if the person said, I'm a Christian, then they were asked on what basis they expected to go to heaven. 52%, a majority of U.S. self-identified Christians said, that they expect to experience salvation on the basis of trying to live a good life. Only 48% a minority believed that they experienced salvation on the basis of their confession of sin and their faith in Jesus Christ. The president of Arizona Christian University, Lynn Munsell, 
said after he saw this report that had been generated by his researchers, he said, quote, the lack of understanding of basic Christian theology is stunning. It's a wake-up call for the church. Well, this was essentially what Paul was fighting. He addressed it in virtually every letter that he wrote, and he addressed it in particular here in Philippians chapter 13. Uh, chapter number three, rather. He said, if I can, if anybody could be saved by their good works and their keeping of the Torah, it was me. None of us can. It is done. We are saved. The work of justification is accomplished by Christ alone. Well, next week, I want to pick up our study with verse seven. But for now, let me just say on the basis of this, let us be strong in our faith and in our beliefs. Let us live out those great reformation truths of justification by grace through faith alone, because they aren't simply reformation truths. They are apostolic truth. This is biblical truth, and that's what we're all about. We are saved by grace through faith alone. It is what Jesus did. Jesus, our Savior, he did it alone, and he did it all along for us, saying at the end of his crucifixion, it is finished. And with his resurrection, he said, I am the one who provides alone for eternal life. It is found by grace and through faith. Well, we'll pick up the paragraph at this point next week. Thank you for digging into the riches of the Bible with me. And remember, check out those posts that I put on social media. You never know what I'll say. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is by Jared Brummett. Editorial supervision by Sherry Anderson. And Luke Tyler takes each of these episodes, condenses them, adds an opening outline, and posts them as blogs on my web website at robertjmorgan.com, where you can also find many other resources. Music is by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Thanks for tuning in, and may God bless you until we meet again.